Attention, podcast listener. We've got an exciting new podcast coming just for patrons of patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1 has begun exclusively for our $5 and up patrons on the Talking Simpsons Network. That's the first 10 episodes of Futurama coming to you once a week. So just sign up for $5 a month at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and you'll get Talking Futurama Season 2 and all of our limited miniseries, including the entirety of Talking Futurama Season 1. That's 13 episodes. That is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Now please enjoy the rest of this podcast. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to our special presentation of our 2020 San Francisco Sketchfest live show. I am one of your hosts for this one, the Mambo King, Bob Mackey, <laughs> who is here with me today. Uh, gelatin dessert eater, Henry Gilbert. Hi. And yes, welcome. In case you didn't know, on January 14th, 2020, we were at San Francisco Sketchfest at the Piano Fight Bar and you missed it. You did. We were waiting for you and you didn't show up <laughs> and we were just so heartbroken, but we decided to be nice and put our entire Sketchfest show online for you to listen to. That's right. Now, uh, there were a couple cuts. If you were there live, you might notice like, oh, we cut out a couple things. It was mainly just our very visual moments of just looking at a screen that no one can see. Uh, So you're going to just have to enjoy it then in in your mind's eye. And uh, if you were part of the full house of folks there, like we had the, I think every seat was filled there at the main stage of Piano Fight. So thank you very much to everybody who came out to that too. That was our first time on the main stage. So it was a very nice honor to be there in the biggest stage of piano fight yeah and the uh, the folks who worked at piano fight such great friends like really helpful they they let us set up the the poster sales there too so cool what what a bunch of great folks there and the folks who were running it on the Sketchfest side also great folks we we really enjoyed uh working with them as we always do when we do sf Sketchfest. yes and i think we say it every year but it's such an honor to be part of it because mm-hmm. like we are on the same program on the same page as people that we love and respect and have listened to for like over a decade mm-hmm. and it's so great to just see like <laughs> oh we're like on the same page as them when we picked up our badges we walked by the banya from seinfeld and no one went it's gold <laughs> uh but also oh my gosh uh, be remiss if we're thanking people a huge thank you to our guest jordan morris yes uh from jordan jesse go most famously but also many other projects mm-hmm. Fo- follow him on twitter do all that cool stuff we didn't get to do the normal promotion at the end of this for jordan so you know check out all of his cool stuff he's got a, a really cool cartoon coming out that we uh that he wrote for we t- paul rugg is part of it. he got to mm-hmm. meet freakazoid I be- himself i believe it's a puppety style show oh can't wait can't yeah. wait and he's he's written for a lot of great things he's a great podcast guest and i was so honored that he reached out to us like unprompted to be our guest like what what a great guy yeah and i guess thanks to julia prescott from uh now it's called round springfield mm-hmm. that podcast for helping set all this up the yeah. uh, the guest part of it it was our sketch fest 2019 guest helping us get our 2020 guest mm-hmm. it's it's very nice so uh i guess that's um I, so yeah there are some visual things that were cut and at the end of this there is a visual component that we will actually have a link to in the description for this episode yes uh if you just listen to the podcast all you hear is audio and people laughing and uh, the end of the show. If you go to the link in the description of this episode, you'll find that video on our Patreon uh, hosted for free. You can just watch it to see what everyone else was watching uh, for the finale mm. of our Sketchfest show. I'll just say Bob did a really, really great job. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, a stupid idea, but it worked. <laughs> so without further ado, let's fade in now to January 14th, 2020, as we celebrated 30 years of season one. Hoy, everybody, and welcome to the Talking Simpsons live show. And this is where we all vaguely sound like Walter Matthau. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, the frosty chocolate milkshake enjoyer, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons, who is here with me today. Henry Gilbert, and I'm more of a jello mold kind of guy. And today's live show topic is 30 years of Simpsons season one. I was merely trying to fend off the desecration of the school building. Eat my shorts. Pardon? So before we start, we have a special guest for this live show. Mm -hmm. So our special guest today, uh, from Jordan Jesse Go, a writer of Unikitty and the upcoming Earth to Ned, is Jordan Morris. Woo! 
thing. Hi, everybody. Jordan. Yeah, I'm Jordan Morris, uh, foreman at the Fireworks Factory. <laughs> Which is mentioned in season mentioned one. Mentioned in season one. Yes. Yeah, and today is the uh, the 30th anniversary of the first real episode of season one, like uh, Simpsons Roasting, technically the premiere of the series, but Bart the Genius was the series premiere, and that was this night in 1990. 90, just 90. 1990. <laughs> After a very historic episode of Herman's Head. <laughs> oh. Uh, and I think fo- we were in the Drexel's class uh, zone. Ah, yeah, it was that's... probably a Drexel's. <laughs> America wasn't ready. And Married with Children followed it uh, right after, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, it was uh, It was his co-mate of it. But yeah, the uh, season one, I think it's a bad rap, you know, I- including by us previously on our podcast. Yes, we are uh, currently redoing it to make up for our past sins <laughs> against the Klasky Chupo Corporation. Yeah, especially we were mean to the Klasky Chupo folks. But, uh, but Jordan, yes, welcome. You yeah, just yeah it's good to be here. Boy, we sure are. Three men recording a Simpsons <laughs> podcast. Yeah. You, it's it's we're either three men recording a Simpsons podcast or one eighth of a ska band. We really fit that description. <laughs> and it's and it's this is all I about call our trombone. Oh Stop. Jesus Christ! No, <laughs> I'm just the guy who dances. Uh, and it's weird that we're now we all have to recognize now that we have 30 year old memories, which is very tragic. For yeah. All of yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, uh, me and me and Bob were there uh, on night one of the premiere. Who who is a season one day one viewer of Simpsons here? Just clap. Let's have that. Yeah. All right. Whose jewel is blinking in their hands? <laughs> I can see them. Uh, well, Jordan, you were a night one viewer of Simpsons, right? Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember, uh, yeah, Sunday nights uh, tuning in every week. Uh, we were, uh, uh, you know, there were some some houses in the neighborhood where there was a Simpsons ban mm. because of all the back talk that Bart did. <laughs> the back talk was very bad. Uh, but yeah, but I had an, an unusually sophisticated house when we watched The Simpsons and feuded a satire, and uh, yeah, it was it was great. Um, uh, and yeah, and it definitely like uh, was a big part of my life. And then like in high school, it's just like how I related to people. I quoted The Simpsons at them, and if they could finish the quote or they knew what I was talking about, you know, we were we were connected, and uh, you know that, and you know between that and of course all the. <sighs> Sex I was having high school was so busy, <laughs> just really busy between quoting The Simpsons verbatim and then all the just the wild. I guess 30 years ago we didn't know there'd be no job market, so mm-hmm. we didn't know we'd be doing this. Yes, yeah, I instead of working. That this was, I, hey, this is work. It's true. This it's true. Work. Yeah, I okay. Uh, actually, by applause, who wasn't alive when The Simpsons premiered? Anybody? Hey, okay. Let's say you're welcome here too. It's okay. This is a sting you are, to get out yeah. under Wait, wait, trigger. who here is not alive right now? Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was. I, I've told this story a million times. Yeah, I was there day one because my parents were uh, the lenient kind to sure. just let me watch Simpsons. Also, uh, at the very least, my mom loved The Simpsons. I think my dad was tolerant of it until until they made fun of Republicans a little too much. They oh, crossed the sure. line. Uh, but yeah, I we we were day one viewers and tapers of it. Uh, but yeah, season one I think gets uh, gets overlooked, like in the DVDs and stuff too. I think that's true. I think uh, now that everyone has Disney Plus, as we all are mandated to have by the government, uh, <laughs> a lot of us are watching it for the first time <laughs> in almost twenty years. I'm guessing. So right. uh, it's fun to go back and see. I mean, it's not all good. We're going to highlight some of the bad moments, some things they fix, but there's a lot of good stuff in there too. Yeah, yeah, it is really like it is at once, and I I rewatched it for the purpose of this podcast, and and um, uh, because I was I would have been doing other stuff anyway, <laughs> uh, I was uh, uh, I was really struck by like how it is it is it is two things it is at once you know the revolutionary TV show that would change pop culture and at just an embarrassing '90s artifact mm-hmm. an embarrassing. Urkel level '90s <laughs> artifact. Like if it ended after season one, we would laugh at it in the same way we laugh at like "Got any cheese?" Yeah, like, or the Alf craze. Like you know, yeah. Several several writers on season one came from Alf. That's true. And yeah, I think they like. Uh, we asked Mike Reese, one of the season one writers, like he figured it would just be if it was popular at all, it would be the Alf craze of just like two two years of a bunch of bullshit merchandise and then it's gone and no one remembers. Yeah, I mean, it. what is Bart if not a yellow elf? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and Urkel too. He's like him and Urkel were just contemporary. 
contemporaries of pop culture then. Sure. Yeah. But I think season one, you look back on it and it's just a lot of like perfect, like it's, there's the promise of the show that it will be and there's even some really funny stuff in it. But I also think it's just a lot of lucky breaks that really established it at just the right time. Like uh, including just when it premiered, the the culture at the time going into 1990, and also like the episode order, even I think like really sold people on Bart Mania, like how Bart was central to it, and the magic of a of a new network, a fourth network, right? <laughs> yeah, that it was it only existed because Fox was like, we need more shows. Like this this cartoon on Tracy Ullman's good. Let's make the first animated program for uh, for primetime since the Flintstones. Like, I, obviously we're not counting Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. That doesn't get <laughs> That's our other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta wait do that. Wait Till Your one. Father Gets Podcast. Yeah. It's only it's 21 and up only, so. Uh, right, right. I remember when his daughter said she was going to do a nude painting, and it was quite an uproar in the, uh, in the town. No one else remembers Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. Tom yeah. Bosley? Yeah, Tom, Tom Bosley is the... Homer briefly thought he was Tom Bosley in one episode. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but so here, why don't we play one of our first clips? Let's remember how different things were with the season one opening. And you'll notice just how, if you haven't watched it in a while, and also, we I didn't get these from Disney Plus. These are the correct aspect ratio. And that, uh, yes, thank you. God bless Finally. you. Finally, feels good to be in a room full of people who care about aspect ratio. Yes. People are holding up four by three signs. It's crazy. <laughs> four by three or bust. Okay. Uh, here, let's take a look at the season one opening. Yeah, that was the first time a couch gag existed beyond the couch realm. Yeah, yeah it's carried over over, yeah. to the, over the TV. That uh, that chalkboard gag was pretty good. It was I will not waste chalk. Pretty mm. funny. There are some bad chalkboard <laughs> gags in this season. Yeah, I think um, one of my least favorites was like I will not skateboard down the hall, which at least is followed by him skateboarding out the door. So sure. I guess the joke is he then skateboarded out of the hall, but it's kind of, that's a little weak. A lot of them I, are just like, what are a list of rude pranks? Yes, yeah. Well, because Bart's a bad boy. Sure. He, the one is, I will not burp in class. He burped in class. <laughs> I, I went through a lot of archival graining interviews recently, and he was, he was really into the idea of making Bart burp and offending polite society with it. It like, worked. They <laughs> made the president mad. He, he talked about how he wanted to have a Jell-O commercial with the Simpsons, and it would end with J-A-L-L burp. And the Jello, he says that the Jello people were very offended by sure. her. So yeah. they hired Bill Cosby to represent the product. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Different time. Yes. He stood for family values in the face of Bart Simpson's <laughs> nastiness. Also, I want he wanted the first Bart uh, doll to belch too, but they wouldn't let him do mm. it. Uh, also, that opening, there's a joke in there that I never knew was a joke until last year, which is when the Simpsons come in, and those clouds are bad in the first season clouds for the Simpsons title, uh, but it goes, the Simps, and then ONS comes in. And the joke is supposed to be, you're supposed to think, they named the show The Simps, as in these stupid people. And then you go, oh, The Simpsons, but they're done. Like, it's, there's a lot of too subtle gags in this <laughs> season, I think. Uh, Jordan, as a, as a writer, you know, how, how was Simpsons, like, uh, influential to you? Yeah, well, you know, I think as far as, like, going into TV writing, like, I think the first time I kind of realized that TV writing was a thing was, like, listening to the commentaries. That was a big one for me. I'm like, oh, okay, there's a room full of people, and they get together, and they write these. That Now, all I have to do is go to Harvard. <laughs> That's the hard part. <laughs> Uh, so I'm still looking to do that. Uh, if anybody knows how to get in, uh, it'd be great for my career. Um, so yeah, that was a big one to me. And uh, yeah, like and and you know, and definitely like like the Simpsons kind of also did some. You know, they were early to doing kind of meta stuff. You know, so like um, yeah, so like learning. You know, like. Uh, um, uh, the front was a good episode where they kind of show a TV writer's room. Uh, so yeah, as far as like some getting into the business, like The Simpsons kind of like pulled back the curtain in a way that other shows didn't. 
And uh, yeah, this opening too, there's so many shots that there are more shots than I remembered that did survive, like the the Maggie getting scanned and the uh, the the classroom, despite how insane every <laughs> student looks in it, that stayed the same. It preserved the classic Lisa Largo antagonism, which <laughs> persisted in many seasons. Uh, but but Cherry and Terry have gigantism in that clip there. They, <laughs> Uh, but that I'm so sad they lost that Lisa, the Lisa bike thing with the books going up. That's just it's a cool shot, but it got replaced by the pan over all the characters of Springfield, sure. which I get why they that, that's a, that's a fair trade. But uh, and you don't even hear like Homer scream in that. That's first true. Shot yeah, there, yeah. Uh, and that's it is a little unnerving. Him opening his mouth and nothing coming <laughs> yeah. out. So, like everybody's uh, nightmare. I'm trying to scream and I can't. <laughs> Season one is basically a story of them learning how to sound mix a show. Like they Oof, boy. <laughs> a lot of noisy yeah. shoes, a lot of uh, licensed music in the background. Yeah. yeah. All of the guest stars recorded their lines face down in a bathtub. <laughs> uh, and, and Get Albert Brooks in here to lay down in this bathtub. <laughs> yeah, everyone sounds uh, so weird. I, I love they let Albert Brooks just, just go to town on yeah, that. Yeah, he's so like, funny in this yeah. season. Uh, and well, and also in the the sound design, like they they had Maggie sucker pacifier through dialogue. Like people would talk, and you would be hearing her sucking on her pacifier. It's it's crazy. It's grosser this season, right? The yeah. sucking is the as gross as it's ever been. Mm. Yeah, it's not like one sampled suck. It's just like macaroning in a booth, really going to town <laughs> on a pacifier. Going to town on a pacifier. I hate the phrase "sample suck." Sampled by the suck. way, <laughs> when you said it, I got mad. The final results are a lot less repulsive. Right. <laughs> Uh, I guess, yeah, that opening, you know, they it, there were many things uh, Graining didn't like about that. The opening was designed by David Silverman, who's like, I think the, uh, I guess Matt Graining should go first, but I think after Matt Graining, David Silverman had the most influence on the look and animation of The Simpsons. Like, he, he really defined it in ways I don't think a lot of people truly understand or appreciate, you know? Uh, but uh, after season one, I think it helped that the show was such a big hit that they were able to, like, get enough money to just redo the opening because they felt like it. But, uh, you know, though, there was a time when they thought The Simpsons, they wouldn't even air it. Did That's you true. know that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, in case you didn't know this, the classic Babysitter Bandit episode was the last one to air in season one, but it was supposed to be the first episode to air in the fall of 89. Uh, this is Simpsons lore. And uh, the reason it was held until last, it was because of many mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, the final results aren't great. Uh, it's a really uh, bizarre looking episode, but uh, we have some of the thrown out footage that this existed for like 20 years on DVDs, but it's still really fascinating to see. Yeah, if no one's ever seen it before, if you remember the Babysitter Bandit episode, it's really got up and down animation of some scenes that look like they could be from season two in quality, or at least in like following the rules of Simpsons. And then the very next moment will be something that looks like out of the short, still crazy. And that's, that's because they only reanimated about half of it. But uh, yes, they... The, the pro well, here, why don't we show you guys the original animation? If you remember some enchanted evening, it's it's very different in the, the first two minutes here. You know, Maggie, this is my favorite time of the day. Just you and me making a hearty breakfast for the rest of the family, stoking their little furnaces for the busy day ahead. And you know what else I like about the wee hours of the morn? This is our time to be together. Mm. Oh, I dread the day when you realize you're a separate human being. Oh, listen, Maggie, I think I hear those sleepy heads now. With the possibility of showers later Aww. tonight. And now to our hey, own. Hey, we're some frosty crusty flakes in the KBBL traffic copter. So come on in, Bill. Uh -huh. Bad news, drivers. But there's hardy oatmeal and fresh squeezed OJ and whole wheat toast. <laughs> melon rustling going on, so expect delays up to three hours. Meanwhile, hey, Donut! Bike, there's one left and it's mine. Whoops. Don't want to go to work in my shorts. <laughs> uh oh, school bus! Hey, cool your 
jets, man. We're coming. You forgot the special lunches I made. That's okay, Mom. We got money. Now just a darn. <laughs> Everyone's head is ten different sizes. <laughs> Over the course of that clip, everyone has ten different sized heads. And in the end, she walks into a Super Mario 64 level. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the clip on the DVD goes a bit longer, but I just love. I, I wanted to end on Marge's sullen walk yeah. there. Uh, they even. I'm really glad they retook that because they they fucked up that joke. Like it's it's Bill Pie with Pie in the Sky. Like no, the joke is he's Arnie Pie and he says Arnie, Arnie, Arnie in, in the, the Sky. sky. Yes. Come on. Uh, it's so at least that retake let them uh, redo correctly or in a better way. Arnie Pie, the, the classic character. <laughs> and it was a different direction to make Marge a frog woman, some sort of frog <laughs> creature. Uh, and Homer just is Fred Flintstone in that. Yeah. Like, he's just fully Fred Flintstone. But uh, he is drinking coffee out of that dainty little teacup, though. Yes, yeah. Kind of undercuts the, uh, the frantic kind of grossness of that scene. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to sip from a dainty cup. Oh, and also, like, the, the kiss mark that stays on the door is so cartoony. There's, yeah, it's so Looney Tunes. Yeah, it, there's some extreme... There's some real extreme choices in there, for sure. Yeah, I guess, I mean, technically there is, like, good animation in lots of that scene, but it doesn't mm. fit the world. It's sort of nightmarish. There's a sense of reality in the show that it was carried on when they fixed all this that's not present in this clip, mm -hmm. in that clip. Yeah, and the uh, as the story goes, it's funny on the comment... If the commentary over it is uh, the first time, like, James L. Brooks had seen it in 20 years, or 10 years at the time, and he leaves, he's so pissed off seeing it, and he leaves the commentary booth. He's like, I can't stand to look at this. Because <laughs> uh, because the fear was, like, this came back this bad, and they're like, we have to redo as much of this show as possible. Delay this to January. I know. The people listening at home don't know this, but half of the people walked out of the audience while you <laughs> <saw that. laughs> We still keep their money. Yeah, hey, they paid up front. That's the <laughs> important part. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the reasoning behind that apparently was that, like, uh, it was just a bunch of miscommunication on that. It was, like, which really plagued them in the first season that uh, they went to the Klasky Chupo company, which, like, two years later would start Rugrats and was their biggest hit, but... They'd never done a half-hour show before, and so here they get handed a script by people who had never written for animation before, and you just lose stuff in between. And it's—I uh, don't think it's anybody's fault. The Jeff, definitely James L. Brooks on that commentary, I feel, blames Klasky Chupo very heavily for that. But uh, though it's also the original director, I think, too, Kent Butterworth, like he's who would uh, not be returning for season no, two. No, he was not hired back, but. He went on to work on the uh, the amazing Adventures of Sonic cartoon, the uh, the lesser Sonic cartoon of the '90s, if you remember that. <laughs> at least in my opinion, I like I like that this we are in an audience of people that probably has an opinion as to what the best Sonic cartoon is. <laughs> uh, I this mean, is where you want to be. Sad AM, right? Yeah, yeah. They're both bad. <laughs> uh, it's it's about degrees, Bob. <laughs> you can't. You got to pick the lesser of two evils in this case. Which one has a crazy Frenchman on the cast? Uh, that's Sadie. Okay, yeah. that's worse. Uh, <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, Kent Butterworth, who we heard about, he said his saying on Sonic was, "If you can recognize the character, it's not off model," and that is totally true in that footage there. Like it's like, well, I recognize. Marge also is wearing her dress for like one shot of that instead of this green. I mean, she looks like a frog. Homer looks like Fred Flintstone. It's just, it's, it's all over the place. So you, you can see why changes were made. But uh, I think honestly, if they premiered with some enchanted evening, that's like a Homer and Marge episode. I think starting with Bart the genius and a Bart episode was the right move mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, and the Christmas one is also very Bart focused too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, you know, you get to. Feel the said that is so weird that they're it, overall in season one how often they want you to feel bad for homer like he's like you're used to him just being this indestructible clown but in like uh in roasting on an open fire they're like homer can't afford gifts for his family single tear rolls <laughs> yeah. down face oh. it really like it the show really like started out as being like about being lower middle class i feel like and then like it 
you know, and it changed, and it's like, eh, Homer can take off work to go join the space program for a couple weeks, you know? <laughs> but it, I feel like the original vision for the show is like, what is it like to be a family who is who can't afford the shit that the other families around you can? Uh, and, and it's so weird, because I noticed the, the, the Jacques episode... Uh, What's the title of it? Oh, Life in the Fast Lane. Yeah. Like, he is such a funny character in that he's this Lothario, but he's also a lower middle class Lothario. <laughs> like, yeah. he takes March to a diner and he lives in this very sad apartment. So, I don't know. It is a funny thing that kind of the show lost was like, oh, what is it like to be just barely middle class? Yeah, he ordered four onion rings at a time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but he's he's at least libertine enough to know what brunch is, which is a concept Marge right. can't understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, you really you get a lot of the family budget in season one too. Like not only by losing out on the Christmas bonus and like two hundred dollars, there's no Christmas presents. Or yeah. to go to Marvin Monroe to get two hundred and fifty dollars, they need to pawn their television. They just don't have two hundred and fifty dollars. Like Yeah, there was like real financial stakes in the first season. It's like will they make it, you know? Though as time went on, I think they got tired. I I heard them say on commentaries, they're like, this is the fourth time we've had the family budget saying like yeah. if we cut out this, then we can do that. Like I think that's why they, they just got so tired of that they, they just decided Homer's wallet can just have $900 if they <laughs> sure. needed to. <laughs> Which, uh, well, that's, I mean, in season one, you get to see them really straining against, like, this directive of family sitcom, but then you have all these Harvard writers or guys from SNL who want to do crazy stuff that just is genre-defining, and so uh, they, they're all stressing against the, the makeup of this regular family sitcom. Yeah. Though it, it you know, I liked how, like, the, the budget stuff, it reminds me, like, of uh, Roseanne, too, like, at the time. The show Roseanne, which was a good show. Let's, let's pretend. Yeah, yeah. Let's pretend the real Roseanne died at the end of the show, <laughs> just like she, she did. But. It was pushing back against, uh, I hate to bring up again, but Cosby, who was considered wholesome and also Full House and all the, like, huggy, touchy-feely, you know, we have unlimited money sitcoms mm -hmm. of that era. Um, yeah, no, it was, uh, I know, it was interesting how, how controversial this stuff was. It is so cute now. Like, it is so adorable. Uh, but yeah, it was weird how, uh, how it was like a, uh, yeah, it, there were a lot of kids I grew up with who couldn't watch it, and they had to, like, sneak it. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, we've heard from people who didn't have cool parents who wouldn't let them watch The Simpsons. They had to, like, secretly watch it. Or, uh, one of, uh, one of our best guests, uh, Ian Jones Cordy, he told the story about, like, he eventually had to, like, in his teens, come out to his parents of, like, no, I've watched The Simpsons. <laughs> it is The Simpsons. I'm not hiding it anymore. It was the era where politicians would name check uh, TV shows like this and uh, Murphy Brown. Like, we just had debates right before our live show. Uh, I don't think anyone uh, called yeah. out, this is us as <laughs> filth ruining America. Uh, well, there's not like a monoculture anymore. That's I, true. I, I feel like it died with uh, Game of Thrones. Right, like, yeah. That was the last time people could count on like, well, we all know what this is, right? Right. Like, if a politician is like, I don't want our our country turning into Russian doll. And people are like, <laughs> I've been meaning to watch it. I hear it's good. <laughs> people, I want, they, I, my friend says it's good. I, there's, there's so much, right? <laughs> I want Bernie to cancel Minions. Uh, is that yeah, part of his plan? I, uh, it has to be deep on the webpage, okay. but it's, it's got to be there. Nationalize Minions. <laughs> <laughs> I hear Buttigieg wants to befriend the Minions. <laughs> Actually, oh, our president has at least one photo with Minions. I think he's the only politician. Oh, yeah. like he, well, as, as a friend of the universal NBC family, he's, he's got many pictures with the Minions. He thinks they're real. Anyway, enough politics. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, I guess, uh, you know, our next set of clips here, uh, season one had a lot of stuff that would not continue into season two, like these character traits that they just dropped. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of characters who didn't make it at the end of the show, but when they're planning of the show, they, not, they don't realize where these characters will take them, and a lot of these traits that they developed and a lot of the like side bits they developed would never follow beyond season one. So do you want to start with this reel? Yeah. So, I mean, they would revisit this from time to time, but season one and a lot of merch and the board games, like it established Homer loves bowling. That's his number one thing he loves the most, and I don't think they return to it again until like season seven. After yeah, this, yeah, the pin pals was yeah. it, but he wasn't even that good of a bowler. Like he, I mean, he's all right, and and then in season eleven he'll bowl a three hundred. But uh, but yes, at this time, quite the bowling fan. 
Wow, look at these bowling balls, Maggie. Can you think of a better way for Daddy to spend his hard 150 bucks? <gasps> now I've seen everything. Black, marbleized with a liquid center. The stealth bowler. The <laughs> pins don't know what hit him. Dad, can I talk to you about something? Sure, boy. What's on your mind? Well, I was wondering, how important is it to be popular? I'm glad you asked, son. Being popular is the most important thing in the world. So, like, sometimes you could do stuff that you think is pretty bad so other kids will like you better? You're not talking about killing anyone, are you? No. Are you? No. Then run along, you little scamp. <laughs> boy without mischief is like a bowling ball without a liquid center. No. <laughs> oh, actually, that's, that's solid. Clip, actually, oh, yeah. Too. That was clip one of our bowling reel. Bowling ball for you, not for me. What? No. The holes were drilled for your fingers. Well, I wanted to surprise you. I couldn't very well chop your hand off and bring it to the store, could I? You never intended for me to use that ball. Well, if that's how you feel, I'll take it back. You can't take it back. You had your name engraved on it. So you'd know it's from me. Homer, I'm keeping the ball for myself. What? But you don't know how to bowl. Whoops. I'm keeping it, and I'm going to use it. Thank you for the present, Homer. Well, you're welcome. So yeah, Barney's Bullarama was also a season one uh, location, but I think the original story was they thought Barney the drunk would be the proprietor. Yeah. But then in season seven, it ends up being his uncle Al, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They cha- I guess he named it after he named his, it after his nephew. Sure. <laughs> I bet he thought he didn't let him uh, inherit it one day, but his drinking was too bad. Right. <laughs> like no, yeah, I can't. Too much of an alcoholic. <laughs> um, yeah, you know it's so interesting because I mean I think something that you know Simpsons fans do a lot is like you know, use the stuff from the show in everyday life. It's how we relate emotionally to the world. Like, you know, <laughs> if if there's someone or something that you know is, you know, uh, uh, trouble, but you can't stay away, ah, stupid sexy Flanders, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but there's, God, it's a, a bowling ball that says Homer on it. It's such a perfect, like, it, it, it's such a perfect way to describe a selfish gift. Like, mm. there's no... You know, you can just say, "Oh, that gift is a real bowling ball that says Homer on it." And and, and <laughs> if a if a person is worth their salt, they'll know what you're talking about. Uh, I I mean the the cruel the multi layered cruelness of it that it's like not it has his name on it and it's his finger size because obviously he wouldn't know Marge's finger size. How would he ever ask her? But he acts like he'd have to cut off her hand to get it. <laughs> Also, the March turns 35 in that episode, which I don't like that. Well, but, actually, I think uh, it's 34. Oh, 34. It's yeah, even scarier. Uh, boo. They can't be old, younger than me. <laughs> don't like it. Uh, no, that liquid center thing. Well, also, I forgot that stealth bowler line that really puts it in 1992 because, like, the stealth bomber was all the rage then. Right. Some like, some cutting Gulf War commentary there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look out, General Norman Schwarzkopf. <laughs> <laughs> We were mo- we were gearing up for Desert Storm, as this, sure. uh, but the, yeah, the that stealth bowler, like the Liquid Center, I feel like that was like in a ton of jokes on like merchandise and like the deluxe Simpsons Guide to Life game. I feel like had multiple Liquid yeah. Center jokes in it, uh, and also like Homer's bowling was so extreme, like it was like two different level. Well, it was like his super move in the arcade game, and his big dream boss battle was against a giant bowling ball. He put a giant bowling ball in that dream uh, world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I guess that's just like old dad stuff. Yeah, 60s dad stuff. They kind of like, yeah, they kind of like leaned away from bowling in later seasons and more toward him being an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Better jokes. I mean, just (laughs) Homer regularly bowling implies a level of outgoingness that I don't think he has. It's kind of wholesome, too. It's kind of a wholesome activity, maybe not quite right for where the character went. You know, maybe uh, the retconning of this we can say is that when he lost his job as a pin monkey, uh, he then Mm. couldn't stand to go back to the bowling alley. I'll buy it. I I like that. Uh, but that's yeah, not the only uh, thing that changed. Oh. One thing that The Simpsons is good at, it's continuity. So. <laughs> it all <laughs> stitches together for everything. Yes. We're proving that tonight. So, <laughs> so the next bit they had was the Happy Little Elves. So The Simpsons uh, hated the Smurfs initially, very much so, but they didn't realize their first episode would air the same month the last Smurfs would ever air. So immediately, (laughs) they were outdated with this parody. So uh, a very little amount of Happy Little Elves made it into the uh, first season, but eventually Itchy and Scratchy would be the show within a show they watched. So we have a few bits of the remnants of Happy Little Elves here. 
talking anymore. But I want to see what happens. You know what happens. They find Captain Cook's treasure. All the elves dance around like little green idiots. I puke the end. Bart, you're just like Chili, the elf who cannot love. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess they thought that would be the cartoon Lisa watched, but it took them a while to figure out Lisa would not watch Happy Little Elves. Yeah. <laughs> she would really hate it. I know the joke of the Happy Little Elves is like bad kids TV, and it, in that way it works because I fucking hate them. <laughs> every, every time, that, which, you know, they come out three times in the series, and I clench when they come on screen. I hate them. Even the parody is hard to watch. Yeah. Well, it's, it's such a one-note joke of just like, it's, uh, it's hey, the Smurfs is bad and animated poorly. And that's sure. it. Like, and, and yeah, I think uh, in that scene right after Grandpa says unadulterated pap, that's when Lisa has her long speech about the how Homer is the only male role model in her life and that they need to respect her. Like this profound speech. I feel like they only had the happy little elves there to show like both sides of Lisa then, that she's that. the little girl, but also the the deep thinker. But I guess the happy little elves live on in Disenchantment. Yes. There's a world yeah. of happy little elves. They all are oh, the yeah. happy little elves, yeah. Shaco, uh, Levo... Uh, Alpha Returno. <laughs> Returno. Uh, Gaspa. No, uh, is that is Shaco. That was yes, Shaco. Yes, yeah. No, oh, also, last note about the Happy Little Elves. In the first clip there, they even got June Foray to do a shitty elf voice. Like that's, which is basically just a voice she always did in those old cartoons. Yeah, very Rocket J. Squirrel voice for that yeah, elf. Yeah, it wasn't hard for her to go there. I, I love that uh, if Some Enchanted Evening has been the first one, it would have let her be in the first episode to then have like almost kind of a continuity or like a a passing of the torch from Rocky and Bullwinkle to The Simpsons, which I guess you know thematically it's still there with her being in the season. She uh, her main role in that episode is playing the the woman on the world's largest telephone, who the <laughs> rubber baby <laughs> buggy bumper babysitting <laughs> service. Yeah. You got to work hard for that. It's not joke. good. It's a lot. <laughs> Uh, I think they realize like sign gags are funnier if you read them rather than say them out loud. Was that ever a kind of business, just a babysitting business where you call them and there's three babysitters <laughs> sitting on a bench in a room and they send one of them, I've but they of, haven't background checked anyone? I've heard of a babysitter's club. Right, <laughs> yeah. That seems real to me. I've heard of a boxcar child, <laughs> but... That's more of an orphan, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. Were the babysitter's club orphans? Mm. No, they were just a bunch of friends who started it. Who I, had they, parents. Yes, yeah, they all had parents. The baby, the, I, I, uh, they the despised orphans. Uh, the, the Babysitter's Club is really about running a small business, is mm. what it's about. Mm -hmm. like, it's yes. just having a treasury, counting money <laughs> together. That's most... Uh, Taking minutes. All the fun. <laughs> I, one of the girls has diabetes, too. I remember that. Uh -huh. That's all. Meanwhile, the boxcar children... Like in the first, they're orphans in the first book and get adopted at the end of the first book. And so they only like live, they, they live in a rich guy's house with a boxcar in the backyard. It's, it is a real lie of the boxcar children. There. Wow. What a scandal. <laughs> you have opened, you have opened up old information in my brain. You are a, you are a, you have a lot of opinions. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Best uh, Sonic cartoon, <laughs> Why the Boxcar Children is Bullshit. This is fascinating. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was, I was more of an Encyclopedia Brown kid. That was my, oh, my sure, go-to sure, sure. one. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yes, uh, the Happy Little Elves, it was them taking a swing at the Smurfs, and I think after season one, they're like, why are we attacking? We're, we're bigger than the Smurfs. We don't need to bother yeah, with Yeah, it seems this. like punching down, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and they are so unpleasant to look mm. at, the Happy Little Elves. I mm. hate them. I don't know if I've mentioned that yet, but <laughs> you know, I uh, the last note I have on Happy Elves too is that they they want to joke about how bad limited animation is, but it's like it's in an episode that they thought yeah. wasn't well animated, so it's like it's a real glass houses kind of moment. Those elves are stones in yeah. their glass house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So up next we have again uh, the Simpsons were created to be like anachronistic, like the '60s family, but living in the late '80s, early '90s drawn from the lives of the writers, and Homer apparently was way into Mambo. 
So uh, very much right. <laughs> the very first episode meant to air had a lot of Homer being uh, into Mambo, telling Bart the key to the woman's heart, the, the key to a woman's heart is Mambo, and things like that. So we have the Mambo reel. Yes, next. all our Mambo moments. Work that body, Homer. You know, one day you'll learn to move like your old man. Not if I can help it. <laughs> Son, there's not a woman alive who can resist a man who knows how to mumbo. You don't have a clue, do you, Dad? <laughs> Out, boy. Out. What a grump. Smooth as a baby's behind. Papa. Papa. <laughs> Uh, Homer even they haven't changed a bit, have they? <laughs> <laughs> the famous Mambo family. Uh, uh, I think Homer even like Mambo's uh, in the arcade game. It's like an idol animation. Yeah, or like, he dances his like fingers in the air. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Homer danced a lot more back then, just like Batman in the '66 show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's also I forget which episode, but or maybe it was cut. There was like Mambo in the morning, the Mambo channel. Like they'd be listening to that yeah, too. Like but, yeah. They couldn't have predicted that Lou Bega would bring back the Mambo so strongly. Right, right. The, the fifth and final Mambo. <laughs> when, he, when he unlocked the fifth Mambo, the world <laughs> ended. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, no, that Legend I, tells of a sixth Mambo. <laughs> <laughs> We're not ready. Uh, that was also, I mean, that's a fun scene, though, too, with Homer shaving his beard line, just them addressing that, like, what if Homer were to shave his beard line? Well, it would pop back instantly. That's what would happen. That, I mean, that sound effect, when his beard popped back, that would never happen on the show. Yeah, the sound effect is so wacky. And uh, also that song that Homer is singing, that was like the old Real Sex theme, if anybody remembers the HBO series Real Sex. The Okay, no one admits to staying up late to watch Real Sex. <laughs> this is a sting, Henry. Fine. Yeah, I didn't either. I was Me asking more of a, you guys. <laughs> more of a Red Shoe Diaries crowd, I see. Uh, <laughs> an older boy told me that's what the theme was. <laughs> uh, I also like that Bart is not buying one second of it. He's like, God, no. I hope I never am a mambo dancing old man. Uh, but that dancing of oh, their yeah. stilted dancing was funny and how uh, weird it was. But the dancing in, that, in the original footage that got canned, very different. You know, Marge, this is just like when we were dating. Except for one thing no chaperone. Oh. So no lie, that was a Disney guy, right? Or yeah, quite I think, possibly. I think so. But uh, sorry, Jordan. <laughs> no, sh what is no chaperone? What does that mean? Um, I mean, they're going to score. That's that's their say. In their oh, okay. in, in high school, they had chaperones, so they couldn't stay out late. But uh, I mean, Homer's like, Woo -hoo -hoo. like that's just Fred. That's Fred Flintstone. <laughs> uh, but and kind of Yogi Bear too. Yeah. yeah. Hey, boo boo! I'm gonna have sex with Marge. <laughs> And his and his mouth extend. They called it the trumpet mouth. Like that's again a, a thing they'd never do after season one. And the dancing there is like it's too good. It's not that like they. It's not that they screwed it up by animating it poorly. They they dance too well. Like that's that's uh, why they wanted it changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, the, uh, the rhythm in this season is so strange. There are these spaces after a joke happens. Was there ever a time when it had a laugh track? Was it ever supposed <laughs> to have one? Because it seems like they are leaving room for one. I think they didn't realize how many jokes they could actually write until sure. things started coming back. And, in, and I think in the beginning, the shows weren't scored until they were told, like, oh, this will have music, right? And they were like, oh, yeah, music. We're writing it now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the season one, music also is so weird because they got um, Richard Gibbs... Uh, Alf Clausen didn't do season one. He, he came on in season two. So 
the, the composer was Richard Gibbs, who I think was doing it on the side of doing Tracy Ullman, and he'd never scored a cartoon before. So there's some just really wild sounds like, or like uh, there's even some like Ren and Stimpy style, um, like scratch recordings of just like pulled out the library sounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that uh, you, you can, I, I'm not surprised they went with a different <laughs> composer after season one, but uh, uh, but yeah, there's a, another standout yes. from this one. So another drop runner is uh, Marge, being initially a mom from the 60s, made disgusting uh, gelatin desserts, mm. which also featured a lot on her early merchandise. They didn't know what to do with merch of Marge, which I don't think people were really asking for, mm -hmm. but she would <laughs> often be holding a plate of uh, gelatin dessert that looked like her hair, and the caption would say, I made it myself. <laughs> so that was the joke about Marge. So in this next clip, we have the little runner of her bad cooking, bad 60s-style cooking. Mmm, marshmallow. Oh, that's yours, yeah. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get at least some of the unfortunate noises out of my system while I can, Marge. I don't want to embarrass myself at the company picnic. <laughs> Are you sure that's enough? You know how the boss loves your delicious gelatin desserts? No, oh, Homer. Mr. Burns just said he liked it once. Marge, that's the only time he's ever spoken to me without using the word bonehead. Oh, boss, look what we brought. Gelatin dessert. No, oh, for the love of Peter. That's all anybody brought. Some damn fool went around telling everyone I love that slimy goop. Well, toss it in the pile over there. <laughs> and... Make yourselves at home. You're that dad? You can lie around in your underwear and scratch yourself. A rare uh, season one White Smithers in that clip. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. We'll get... Yes. We'll get but uh, I don't think I knew what those were as a uh, eight-year-old watching this. My mom never... I mean, it was Jiggler's time yes. in our era. Of the Jello age of food. Jiggler's was upon us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Jigglers foretell of a sixth mambo. <laughs> oh, wow. They are the symbols. Uh, uh, but they have to call them gelatin desserts because they were so afraid of, like, using a copywritten term oh, like right. jello. Yeah. It was it's same. Like, yeah, it's like hearing someone say cola casually. Yes, yeah. It's I, always, like, jarring. It's like, why did you say cola? <laughs> Where's this branded term? Yeah, it's, I had to explain this to British people I worked with when they use like the term like plaster for Band-Aid or like tissue for Kleenex. I'm like, no, in America we use branded terms because everybody owns everything. Like you, you, you talk about what a brand is, not a descriptor. And the same with Jello. You just call. I. I. Could you even make a gelatin dessert that isn't a Jello branded one? Like it's made from who? I, you know? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't trust it. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, the the gelatin desserts in there. I guess all the moms made it for the writers of the show. But uh, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think on Darkwing Duck they even did a bit of like talking about gelatin, but they just didn't say Jello. It drove they me drove it me crazy. Pudding, correct? Yeah, they call it. Yeah, Goslin called it pudding. Uh, so Those lazy writers. <laughs> these lazy writers. What's oh. your favorite Disney afternoon show? Definitely oh Darkwing. Okay. Definitely Darkwing. Not, not even close. Got to go with Bonkers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Dark Horse. You're a Bonkers man. Or Bobcat of the Disney <laughs> Afternoon. Uh, uh, come on, Bonk Man. <laughs> but uh, we have one more notable thing that got changed. Jordan already touched on it a little bit here. Yeah, so uh, there was not just one instance of a wrong race character, but two. Uh, one is lesser known, but I think we lead with the first one. Mm -hmm. Lesser known one. Now... Let's have even more fun. And uh, over here is our thermal regulator. To your right, if you look through this window, you'll see where our water rejoins the rest of nature's biosphere. The first Blinky. Yes, and the first and only Blacksmithers. Yes, yeah. He's more of like a scientist. He's like wearing a lab coat, too. Yeah, yeah. and I guess this is like hot off the presses trivia of a few years ago, because until uh, maybe 2018, it was cited all the time, even by Matt Groening, as like a coloring mistake. But initially, the writers of that episode, Homer's Odyssey, intended for Smithers to be uh, both gay and black. But then realizing he would be the servile, like, toadied Mr. Burns, thought having a black character be that role would be a bad look. Mm -hmm. So he was quickly rewritten to be a white character with uh, No Disgrace Like Home. 
Yeah, by the very next episode, he's he's to his white design. Though he won't, he's still wearing the lab coat. They didn't fully redo Smithers until uh, season two. But yes, the there is a lesser known mistaken race, which here. seems to me like a coloring error, but it's still uh, kind of interesting. Eddie, evening, Mo. Want some pretzels? <laughs> no thanks. We're on duty. A couple beers would be nice, though. Got me two bucks, boys. Just kidding. <laughs> Good one, Mo. Uh, listen, we're looking for a family of peeping toms that's been terrorizing the neighborhood. Ah, uh, don't worry. This dog has to sit. Hey, what's gotten into Bobo? I uh, got some wieners in my pocket. And figures. Come on, you stupid dog. Now, Black Smithers is good uh, party trivia. That will knock people out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They got they got Lou all wrong. White Lou. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is back when Lou and Eddie didn't have Wiggum with them uh, going on calls too. Like eventually, they're just like Wiggum's the funniest. He should be on these all these calls. He, he cares if he's the chief of police. He needs to investigate everything. <laughs> yeah, and then they, and, you know, kind of once they once they fix that, uh, the Simpsons maintains its perfect track record on race. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Never a single problem again. Yeah. <laughs> There's one season one character I don't have any clips of tonight. Uh, huh. you, you know, let's not talk about him. And his name is Jasper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, we will see Jasper in one shot oh, you're later. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, Eddie and Lou, the, they're, I also love that they, uh, they're like, uh, we're no pretzels while on duty, but they will drink. <laughs> I, that's, that's one of the many, like, there are good jokes in this season, I swear. It's, it's worth watching. <laughs> Uh, also, in that, uh, I forgot to mention that Jello clip. They, there's another thing in there they would never do after that one, which is Homer wearing a striped shirt. Like it looked all, it just looked crazy. Like I don't know why it was just like two extra red lines on his regular outfit, but it's just like it it uh, it hurt my eyes. Honestly, <laughs> it was too bright the mix of the yellow and red there. Uh, but yes, after uh, so after, about season one, actually, this is on to the next bit here. I think people are too mean to season one thinking it's only ugly characters and ugly drawings and all this stuff. Like, I yes. think... I mean, we speak of Klasky Chupo in the terms of... It's also of unpleasant sounds. Yes. That too. Yeah. I mean, but we usually discuss Klasky Chupo in the terms of the bad things they made much later, mm-hmm. but not in the uh, very good work they put in in the first three seasons of the show. And there's some of it in even season one. Yeah, season one has some really, really great animation. Clearly, like, two, I think, like, standouts of, like, oh, this just is, like, uh, de- like theatrical level animation in it. So I wanted to share a clip a quick reel of the best animation in season one. Tears. What the? Good afternoon, Solomon. Go easy on me. I'm your dad. I am going easy on you. But you're just so old and slow and weak. I told that boy a billion times to pick up his job. I like to play with you. Look, plump, succulent sausage, honey smoked bacon, and glistening, sizzling. <laughs> Three kids as equals. They're people too. They're smarter than you think. They were smart enough to get me. Watch whatever the hell we want. I said you're gonna watch this tape, and you're gonna do what I say, or I'm gonna do something to you. And I don't know what that is because everybody has always done what I say. That last one there is like I think the best animation in the show ever in thirty like, years. Yeah, in thirty years. Yeah, that that one bit there with uh, with bots saying like everybody does what I say. That was done by Dan Haskett. Uh, he was an animator who was fresh off of animating 
The Little Mermaid and Belle. Like, he did Ariel and Belle and then did, like, work on the first two episodes of Simpsons. Like, he just, he had an opening in schedule. Like, that that animation is so good. And I'm glad they kept it in the regular episode. Like, that, uh, so especially in some Enchanted Evening that it's known as, like, oh, how terrible the animation is. Like, it includes that scene in it that looks so good. There are highs and lows in that episode. (laughs) Uh, Well, and the, the heart attack that crushed he has uh, that is all Brad Bird. That's all done by him, the uh, uh, Incredibles Iron Giant guy. He, uh, he back then at least he had a rule that he wanted to animate one scene every thing he directed, which he stopped doing once he worked in 3D because he doesn't know how to animate in 3D. But uh, but so for this episode, he was like, oh, I love the sound. Dan makes having his heart attack so much, I have to draw the perfect drawings for that. So every pose like like that, that's that's all Brad Bird. Yeah, it was it's kind of neat that like in this early phase of the show, like you kind of see people putting their stamp on it, you know. Um yeah, you kind of like can feel the influence and you know, kind of uh you know, later on it kind of gets harder and harder to tell who wrote something or who directed something because it is so, you know, it turns into a machine for better or for worse. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of nice to kind of see these kind of individual little talents sneaking in. Yeah, as the, as the series art became more uniform too, it's also, there's there's less room for animation like that in the series. Yeah, and Krusty Gets Busted was the one episode he directed himself. Which yeah, is why the Sideshow Bob stuff we just saw was so great. Yeah, yeah, the whole Sideshow Bob episode is full of amazing animation and that... Uh, yeah, it's the only episode Brad Bird fully directed. He co-directed uh, Like Father, Like Clown, but this was his only one. And he, I mean, he just loved Krusty. Like, Krusty was uh, first drawn in the shorts. He was a David Silverman, like, art creation, but uh, Brad Bird loved Rusty Nails from his time growing up in Oregon, their local clown, who was like a Christian clown, not the, the opposite of Krusty. Uh, but he he loved the this old clown show aesthetic of him that he imbued so much of that into to Krusty. Like that that turned Krusty into the lovable guy. We we mm. all know. Uh, the the receptacle of Johnny Carson jokes <laughs> on. I also love Homer screaming, I think that's when they really figured out, like, no, Homer enraged is funny Homer, not not the single father, not single father, not the father's like, be normal, or I'm worried about my job. Like, no, he's a screaming monster who has his tongue just jump out of his head when he's screaming. Yeah, him, the, the, the couple episodes where, you know, especially the Dr. Marvin Monroe one where he's like, he wants his family to be more like the other families. It just seems so off for Homer. I mean, obviously, they're just figuring the show out. It's the third episode. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like it's so different from, from what he became, which is this uh, hilarious screamer. <laughs> and I think Marge is the one who gets drunk in that episode and embarrasses him. Marge right, gets drunk. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Everything is wrong. <laughs> and Homer, like, tells them, hey, stop sitting in the living room eating and watching television. Let's eat together. Right. <laughs> it's like, no. Every, but it, it was the fourth episode they wrote. They, they, they were still figuring things out, yeah. I do like that animation with Marge's uh, fantasy when she gets drunk of the, it's kind of this little ballet scene. It kind of looks like it's from Fantasia. Anyway. Mm. Yeah, no, her, nice. yeah. Yeah, her dance sequence with, uh, with, uh, Jacques is really great. Looking. Oh yeah, sure. That kind of seemed to be a thing of the show that maybe it was part of the original vision was those flashback or those like you know those kind of fantasy scenes that go to a different color palette. Anyway, yeah, they still had a couple of those in season two, but by season three, fantasy sequences uh, they would just look like when Lisa would imagine people cutting up her giant tomato. They just right. colored it normally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that, uh, that's I just want to show all that just so people can see like uh, there was still really good animation season one like Homer smashing that door uh, the first one I show that was all David Silverman really figuring out Homer like mm-hmm. he if you follow him on Twitter uh, he just tweeted out like his original drawings he did for animating that sequence of Homer pounding on the door it's really great hey. yeah these uh, last three bits I think are the uh, I think the three most funny things from the season and that people still remember is like great from the Simpsons. And like uh, one of them was like so big that it appeared this next one 
it appeared in Die Hard 2. Like, it was the first time The Simpsons appeared in any other media, uh, and it was in the Fox, uh, fellow Fox alum Die Hard 2, which most people didn't see, but uh, this was playing on an airplane. Electric generator. Everyone comfy? <laughs> Good. Now, don't touch any of those buttons in front of you for a very important reason, i.e., you are wired into the rest of your family. You have the ability to shock them, and they have the ability to shock... Ah! Why you? Oh, oh, not yet. Oh. <laughs> you see, this is what is known as aversion therapy. When someone hurts you emotionally, you will hurt them physically, and gradually you will learn not to hurt each other at all. And won't that be wonderful, Homer? Oh, yes, Doctor. Whoa! <laughs> Bart, how could you shock your little sister? My finger slipped. Ah! So did mine! Ah! Bart, Lisa, stop that! Whoa! Whoa! No, 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 no! Whoa! No, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Folks, folks, if I can... This energy conservation fad is as dead as the dodo. Execution. It just lasts twice as long as I think they probably planned it. Have you, uh, speaking of Die Hard 2, have you seen that clip of the TV edit of Die Hard 2? Oh, no, no. Oh, well, what, he, what he says at the very end? The, yeah, yeah, so, uh, you know, when they, there was a trend for a while where instead of, or the, the, the you know, uh, the kind of way they did it back, you know, for a while was instead of bleeping something or just dropping out a bad word when a movie went to cable, they would try and replace the dialogue and uh, Die Hard 2, the greatest one of those ever is, instead of yippee motherfucker, he says, yippee Mr. Falcon. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that's a good, I, I forgot that one. But I, uh, that, I always wonder in that clip of the electrocutions, like, who zapped Maggie? Who was the person to electrocute yeah. Maggie? Someone had to press that button. I, I would assume Bart. But in an episode where everything is wrong in retrospect, that still remains funny. That's that whole sketch just yeah. at the end is very funny. Very good. Yeah, I mean the entire Marvin Monroe section is just it's a it's a sketch to itself. Like it's it's it, it can be removed from the episode. Yeah, and it really like it really kind of you know uh, is a good example of kind of what the show does great in the golden years is like showing a joke and then showing the ramifications of the joke. Like that cut to Burns is great. And that's like, <laughs> you know, when the show is at its best, it's doing stuff like that. It's like, here's a silly thing. And here's what is happening because of that silly thing. It's, it's just great. And I love all their smoking skin at the end too. Oh like, yeah. Sure. They're dying. They're <laughs> uh, this next one is from the, uh, the John Schwartzwelder written episode of the season. It's definitely the, the craziest episode, but this, uh, this joke I just love. Starving, man. Ah, food. Good thinking, son. This young sapling ought to do the trick. What are we going to do, hang ourselves? No. This is a trap. <laughs> it's going to catch us our dinner. Come on, boy. Shh. Just watch. Ooh. Aha! Got him! <laughs> they kill that rabbit. It's <laughs> If they can find that rabbit, they'll be sitting pretty. <laughs> That's a long walk to that <laughs> rabbit. Though. Love the little life and hell design of the rabbit, too. That's a yeah. fun little nod. Mm. But the, I always remember the rabbit being flung, but I forget Bart's so hilarious. Like, what are we going to do? Hang ourselves? So good, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, the last clip here I have is from the, uh, I think... One of the funniest, step, the best episode of season one is Krusty Gets Busted. And a big part of that is 
Uh, you know, they did have Albert Brooks before it, but I think the best guest star of the season is Kelsey Grammer. Like, he set the tone for all the guest stars that would come after him and, like, this great star casting of, you know, not they're not going like, wow, Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> he is a fully formed character. This bit here I just love. This is when they learned how funny it is to just sit back and let a character sing. Volley of musketry flamed, thundered, roared. A profound silence followed broken only by the approaching footsteps of the 3rd Brigade. Next week, Chapter 35 of The Man in the Iron Mask, The Death of a Titan. Well, kids, that's our show for today. <laughs> and now, in the words of Mr. Cold Porter, Every time we say goodbye, I die a little. Every time we say goodbye, I wonder why a little. Every time we say goodbye, goodbye. <laughs> oh, love that. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So definitely, yeah, something I like so much about, uh, about The Simpsons is it, it has great jokes about how boring something is and how highbrow something is. And I think that's a great example of kind of both of those things. And yeah, and they have the confidence to stick with him just reading a passage or singing a song. There's no real joke on the surface there, but it's all very funny to see this character doing it. Yeah. Yeah, they trusted that the animation could express it. And also, I, I love that like on the Sideshow Bob show, it is just them showing him sitting in a chair reading the <laughs> man in the iron mask to you. Like, it's a rating smash. <laughs> the kids are sad to see it end. Uh, uh, and I mean, you see him singing that Cole Porter song, like that would just grow and grow and grow until he's singing the full HMS Pentafor in, uh, in Cape Fear. That's very true. So we interrupt your listening of this uh, SF Sketchfest presentation with a special announcement. In case you uh, missed the intro, we have the video you're about to hear the audio portion of hosted on our Patreon right now for free. And if you follow the link in the description of this podcast, you will be able to watch that video anytime you want on our Patreon mm -hmm. page. We, I guess uh, we yeah. that is him saying goodbye, but we're not done just no, yet. No, we have one final thing to show you. We've had a lot of fun tonight but we can't forget about all the Simpsons characters that we lost in season one, many of which had big things planned for them, but now they're all dead. So we have a little in-memoriam reel. Can we put the house lights down just a little bit to set the mood here? It's very sad. I want to remember these characters uh, as they would wish to be remembered. Let's start the reel. And these are all their real names. It's been a long day without you, my friend, and I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again, when I see you Why'd you have to leave so soon, yeah? Why'd you have to go? Why'd you have to leave me when I needed you the most? Cause I don't really know how to tell you without feeling much worse. I know you're in a better place, but it's always gonna hurt. Carry on, give me all the strength I need to carry. Thank you all so much. Thank you, SF Sketchfests.
infotainment.